0: And now, Deep
1: Thoughts. Whoa, that's pretty deep. Deep? Hey, you're listening to Deep Thoughts, where every episode explores an aspect of the Christian faith a little more deeply. I'm your host, Matt Schantz, and this episode is about art and faith. I get Russ Ramsey on the line to talk about some of the most famous artists in history, their experience of the Christian faith, and how we as followers of Jesus should approach art. His book is Rembrandt is in the Wind, Learning to Love Art Through the Eyes of Faith, and I highly recommend it. If you're interested in art or interested in famous artists' work and lives, in history, are are seeking to grasp the place of art and life and faith, or any or all of the above, this book is super accessible. There's no art criticism snobbery here, and it's a fascinating read, whether you want to learn not only about the art of Michelangelo or Caravaggio or Rembrandt, Vermeer, or Van Gogh, but their lives in general and faith in particular. Or if you want to have a guide for how to visit art museums and analyze a work of art, it's all there. So without further ado, here's my deep conversation with Nashville's own Russ Ramsey. Hey Russ, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. So uh you work in Nashville which my wife and I uh we attended a, a Q Ideas conference um a few years back uh mm-hmm. and just loved the city like we couldn't believe it we felt like we were home yeah. and my wife regularly says we need we need to move to Nashville so well is, a lot of people is it, is it is it that great or or once you uh um. once you stay there a while it, it wears off it is that great.
0: Um, uh, you know, I I really love Nashville. We we lived here, my wife and I, right after we got married in the mid nineties, and and uh, hmm. just always wanted to move back. I think it's a great town because it's it's um, it's always got a lot going on. Um, there's live music everywhere all the time. If you if you think that's just kind of a caricature of the city, it's not. It, well, I remember walking down Broadway, which is the main road where all the honky tonks are in downtown, on a Tuesday at 11 a.m. and there were I counted 15. Um, live bands playing in all these different places That's just the way it is i mean it's you know it's growing so quickly right now that it's kind of changing under our nose and it's become a um kind of second only to vegas for bachelorette parties and so that that kind of changes the the vibe a little bit but it's it's um it's a great town for for um it's a culture exporting town. So there's a lot yeah. of art that gets made here and goes out into the world, uh, which is really kind of a fun environment to be in pastorally because it means that that I get to pastor people who are making art um, yeah. that then goes out broader. So I get to have a voice in in um, in that, and that's that's kind of a fun thing. but yeah, it's it's a great town. Um, <clears throat> the The statistic is we have about a hundred people moving here a day um which seems seems believable to me uh in the time we've been here but uh yeah i i really i love this town
1: i really do yeah well that i mean that's a great connection to what we're going to talk about the the amount of art going on in that city um Mm -hmm. that really struck my wife and i because yeah you were walking down broadway and yeah every every bar has the windows open and some of the most beautiful voices like you've ever heard in your life yeah. And no and no one's heard of any of these people. They're all there to make it and right. they're amazing. <laughs> it must be uh it yeah. must be humbling, hey, to show oh, up to, it, you come from wherever you you come from wherever you came from and you're like the the greatest thing and then you arrive there and uh you're like, "Oh, uh, I'm in a sea of great artists."
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a there's definitely a um uh, small fish, big pond phenomenon that happens. There's a lot of people <laughs> yeah. who move here because you know they're they're um, you know they're they're uh, you know little town says you're you're the best musician around here and they they're like I'm going to go to Nashville and make it and then you get here and you realize yeah. oh oh my it's, it's yeah it's it's kind of crazy we you know the the people that play in your worship team i when I, I pastored in a small town in the a small city in the midwest and our bass player was the guy in our church who owned a bass um you know that was the guy who who played bass for us um and the you know the drummer was whoever had a drum set and here you know like we for a long time our our drummer was a guy who had played with the temptations and ray charles you know and, and uh but he was just kind of in the rotation
1: as one of several who so that, it's, it's it's a it's a unique it's place for sure yeah that's so cool Hey, well, let's dive right into uh, the the subject of your book. Thank you so much for writing it. I, I it's, it's so unique in my mind. I, I, there's not much like it. You wrote Rembrandt is in the wind, learning to love art through the eyes of faith. And I would just love to hear you talk about uh, this art teacher of yours that you had in high school who loved mm-hmm. art and wanted yeah. that to rub off on her students. And then maybe yeah. can you share uh, how you came to write this book? Because it's not every day that a pastor writes a book about art. <laughs> mm-hmm. So,
0: um yeah, so I dedicated the book to my art teachers from middle school and high school. Uh I grew up in a small farming town. Um maybe maybe 10,000 people. Uh and uh so but but my art teachers were were just wonderful and they wanted us to um have a lifelong relationship with art my high school art teacher she just gave us this advice she said if you if you want to have a lifelong relationship with art just find an artist that you like and then just pay attention to them for for the rest of your life and Mm -hmm. uh, they will they'll show you um what they spent their lives creating they will introduce you to their mentors Uh, they'll introduce you to their colleagues and friends who painted alongside them. And, uh, and you will start to see how they influenced artists who came after them. And so for me, that was Van Gogh because, you know, Van Gogh is, is what, what high school boy doesn't love Van Gogh. Like, you know, he's, he's the, he's the one, if you're going to like any of them. And, um, and, you know, it, it was true that, you know, Van Gogh, I, I just, you know, when I'd be in a town where there was an art museum and I went, I'd go look for Van Gogh and, uh, and he would introduce me to Monet and Pizarro and the other Impressionists and Post-Impressionists. And then you'd read the little plaque on the wall and you'd realize, oh, he he was from Holland and he really revered Rembrandt. And so I'd go wander over and look at Rembrandt. And then Rembrandt mm. introduces you to Caravaggio and Vermeer and, you know, all, all the, you know, you <clears throat> so you start to get that kind of cumulative experience. And so now I'm in my late 40s and I've just been paying attention. Um, yeah. Some of these artists since since I was in my teens and and uh, I've I've gained a, just a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience having having just spent time and so um, the book came about as kind of a, a, a kind of a, a joining of the two things that um, are passions of mine and one is art and the other is um, kind of the pastoral work of um, exposition. You know that when we spend our time as, as pastors uh, preparing sermons, there's an exegetical process that we go through with Scripture, which is really the process of, of trying to study a text in a way where we understand the original context of it. Uh, we understand some of the nuance of the original language and how re- readers of the time would have would have read. But then we're also doing the work of trying to draw from it the 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 story or the application for the people. And um, and I got asked to write um, an essay for a um, an anthology that was coming out with a group that I that I do some work with. And I had found this story about, I'd found, I'd always loved Rembrandt's Storm on the Sea of Galilee painting. And Mm -hmm. I learned um, that that painting had been stolen. And so, I was like, well, I want to know more about the theft theft of this painting. And so, I started to get into that. And I thought, this is what I'm going to write my essay about. I'm going to write it about the theft of the the heist uh, at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, where this painting was stolen along with 13 other works. There were 13 works total. And it was the largest single property theft in American history, estimated at $500 million um, value. So I, I was like, well, there's the story. And so I started getting into it and kind of teasing out the thief who stole that painting, cut it out of its frame with a box cutter. And the frame is still on the wall at that museum in Boston, you can go see it. And in my book, I explain why it's still on the wall. There's a legal reason why it's still on the wall, the frame, it's just empty. But the painting is of the disciples asking Jesus in a storm, don't you care that we're dying here? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the thought that the thief, and Rembrandt had painted himself into the painting, and he's the guy who's looking out at the viewer. And so there was a moment where the thief with the box cutter is eye to eye with Rembrandt, who's in this boat with Jesus while the disciples are asking the Lord, don't you care that we're perishing here? And it's like Rembrandt's posing the question to the guy who's cutting the painting out of its frame and destroying basically this this, um, this historic achievement in, in beauty and, and art and uh and so I, pastorally i was like ah oh, that there's so much there to that and so um you know so i started to try to tease out like the significance of the biblical text that the painting was about as it related to what the thief was doing in in destroying mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. um and, and how this empty frame now hangs on the wall and so when people go to the museum they're kind of confronted with the the tragedy of the loss and and confronted with the fact that this is the world we live in we live in a world where thieves break in and steal and 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 I just hmm. there was a point where I r- realized I'm I'm exegeting that's what I'm doing with these art stories as I'm exegeting them I'm using kind of the same skill set and the same tools that i use with commentaries and study bibles and trying to break down a text on sunday morning and so i had this kind of aha moment of well i want to keep doing this you know i want to keep huh. brushing up on on the ability to not only exegete scrip- scripture but exegete culture mm-hmm. and uh, so the book is is um 10 stories about art um the first chapter is kind of preamble to sort of set the stage and then the other nine chapters are kind of standalone stories about different artists and works of art and you can really read them in any order that you want because they don't they don't really they stand alone but um, but yeah that was the process and um, and it, it was it's it's such a joy I'm continuing to write more of these now but but uh, that was how it all came about was was that kind of blending of um, this passion for art and this curiosity and desire mm-hmm. to learn more and this craft of um exegeting and expositing and trying to draw application and um and and find the the illustrations and the parallels in in the passage so <laughs> that's that that but when i when i realized oh these are the these are two things coming together that's where the light kind of went on for me it's like oh i know how to do this
1: oh that's fascinating well, I would love to just dive in and and chat about uh some of these chapters um and then I've got some kind of bigger yeah. bigger questions uh more broad uh, maybe towards the end but but you write and and there's a a much lesser known artist you write about as well. I want to get to her. Um but you write about uh Michelangelo um and uh um Michelangelo's David, uh, Caravaggio, Rembrandt, Van Gogh. Um, maybe, could you just pick a couple um, and tell us a little bit about the significance of both their art and their faith? Uh, yeah. I'm fascinated by uh, Rembrandt painting himself into things. Yes. <laughs> uh, scenes. Yeah, uh, I'd love if you touched on that, but yeah. but are there a couple that just are are favorites of yours that you wouldn't mind riffing on?
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start with Van Gogh. Um th- because Van Gogh, the painting, the the chapter in the book is about the only painting he sold during his lifetime. He sold just one painting while he was alive, um, in his entire career. And, and, it, and it was a friend who bought it. And, um, and yet, the, what the chapter explores is the volume of work that he created in the short nine years that he painted. He only painted for nine years, and really the vast majority, 75% of his art came in the last four years of his life. And so, really, there's kind of this four to four and a half year window of time where Van Gogh is giving the world hundreds of paintings and selling zero of them except for this one the year that he died and uh and the connection to scripture is he is to me he is the striving man in ecclesiastes he's the guy Mm -hmm. who is asking the question is all of my toil under the sun for naught is it just meaningless uh, the futility of his work um, that he must have felt and uh, and so really kind of getting into because when people think about Van Gogh they think about him cutting off his ear right that's then right. they think of Starry Night those are kind of the two places people start with with Van Gogh which I think is unfortunate um, because he hated Starry Night uh, he, he did not <laughs> like that painting um, and <laughs> And because the cutting off his ear is is one of the lowest moments of his life. Personally, it was a it was kind of a manic moment. It was a low point. He ended up in an asylum after he did that. And uh, and so he's known for like the the lowest time of depression and discouragement in his life. And he's and he's most celebrated for a painting that he was like, this doesn't even really represent who I am. Um, uh, he painted starry Night incidentally the reason he hated starry Night was because he he was attempting to paint something that was that resembled things that were commercially successful and so <laughs> um so the swirling of the stars and all of that it's it's if you think about it he doesn't have other paintings that have skies like that uh, it's the only one uh, he has other paintings where where there's there's you know the brushwork all, all of the brushwork is Thick, but that swirling of the stars was was a was in his own mind he wrote this in a letter to his brother it was a gimmick and he and he knew that he he was kind of an indie artist trying to write a pop song is the way I would describe it yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah and he was he was ashamed of himself for it <laughs> um, so but van Gogh was one that that just for me I think who who among us doesn't have some sort of dream or aspiration or even sense of calling to fulfill that's only met with either resistance or disinterest. And how do you measure that? How do you measure faithfulness? How do you measure um, the stewarding of your own gifts? Well, is it based on how other people respond to it in the moment Um, is your legacy? Uh, something that you see realized in your own lifetime or is your legacy something that comes later and if it comes later uh, is your legacy something you have a lot of control over Um, you know to a degree we'd all have to say we we can only have so much influence over our own legacies because they really form after we're gone and they and they're formed by what people say about us Um, and van gogh is kind of a good example of of um, the glory triumphing, um, mm-hmm. after the, after his days on this earth were, were done. And, uh, so he's, he's one. Um, and then, uh, gosh, you know, another one that I think I'm really drawn to it's, it's hard because I think as Christians, we can look at classic artists who did a lot of biblical scenery and think, man, they must've been really good Christians. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when you read the chapter on Caravaggio, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that's true about Caravaggio, who painted some of the most profound, moving biblical scenes, was this guy was a monster of a man. He, was, he, was a, he, he murdered people. Uh, he, one of his uh, biographers said, um, Caravaggio lived his life only in carnival or Lent with nothing in between. And so he was either painting and focused on his paintings or he, or he was using the commission, the commissions that he got for his paintings to go out carousing and, and getting in street fights. Uh, And he's a guy that I was fascinated by because there's a couple of paintings of his that I've always been drawn to. And I wanted to know more about him, but as I got to know him, I was like, this guy is a, uh, he is a contradiction. He's a contradiction of the sacred and the profane all in one um, that he, that out of his art are these amazing images of tenderness and the faithfulness of Christ and the, and the brokenness and the frailty and the sinfulness of man. And also he's, he's this man who, you would you would wonder whether he had a relationship with Jesus at all if it wasn't for the existence of the things that he painted. Not just that he painted about Jesus, <clears throat> but the way that he painted about Jesus yeah, yeah. spoke to some sort of familiar understanding of grace uh, and redemption. Mm. And yet, um, and and I so I like him because I because I think we're all that way, we're all right. walking contradictions. We're all people um, believers yeah. are are all people who are, um, who are exuding the sacred and the profane all the time. And, and mm-hmm. Caravaggio is sort of a an example of that times a hundred. So th- those are two that jump out to me.
1: All right, as a bonus, um, like what what do you make of? What do you make of Rembrandt painting himself in, you know, a modern yeah. equivalent, a modern equivalent would sort of be, you know, the Mel Gibson used his own hand and passion yes. of the Christ to yep. to drive the stake through. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's he doing there? Cause it's, it, well, it seems pretty profound.
0: It, yeah, it is. Rembrandt did it a lot. A lot of artists would do this. Um, uh, and, and what it was is they were breaking the fourth wall. Um, mm-hmm. So if you ever see a painting, especially an old painting, where one of the characters in the painting is looking out at the viewer, chances are it's the artist and they've painted themselves in. And it was their way of, so with Rembrandt and the storm on the Sea of Galilee, there's another one where it's the raising of the cross and Rembrandt is helping push up the cross of Jesus into its seat. Um, And he's looking at us, you know, it's a way of him saying, I'm a part of this. Yes. Um, I'm one of the disciples asking Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing here? I'm one of the people in the crowd who crucified him. Mm-hmm. Um, but also by looking at us, he's saying, and so are you. Um, and so, he, it's, it's the way that the artist implicates the viewer in the subject that he's painting. So, he's not, what's brilliant about it is Rembrandt isn't just implicating himself but in the act of painting himself to look at the viewer he's implicating the viewer um which is uh which is pretty brilliant when you think about how that how what he's doing there um is he's he and and i i think it's a it's a way that artists would um present the gospel to viewers beyond just showing them a scene of it but it's the way of invitation uh is by inviting the viewer to come into the painting with him um as he's in it
1: that's such a great insight that's that's so helpful and brilliant um so in your book you you talk about some of history's most famous artists like michelangelo rembrandt van gogh like we've talked about Mm -hmm. who is lilius trotter and why did you include her in your book wow so lilius trotter
0: is a um is most famously known for being a missionary to the Muslim population of Algeria in the late 1800s. Amy Carmichael was a big fan of Lilius Trotter. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book about Lilius Trotter. Hmm. Um, So she's known for being a missionary. Um, But when she was younger, she was uh, she painted watercolors and her, mother thought they were pretty good and so they were staying in a hotel this is kind of victorian uh london you know kind of that english um you know uh, downton abbey kind of era and um there was a art artist and art uh art teacher painter critic named john ruskin uh in london who was um kind of the uh He he was a big influential voice in the world of art. And Lilius and her mother happened to be staying at a hotel where John Ruskin was also staying. And Lilius' mom asked John if she could show him some of her paintings. And he reluctantly obliged. And when he saw them, he was astonished by them. Uh, In fact, he purchased a couple of them and he used them as examples of what to do uh when he was teaching art in college and he developed this relationship with her as a mentor mentee and basically said you have the um the skill you have the raw talent that if you develop the skill uh you could be the greatest living painter in the world and he said and i and i will i will mentor you and i will teach you and i will i will bring you forward and while she was while While that was happening, she was developing this sense of call calling to go serve these women in Algeria um and reaching out to mission boards and they all were all turning her down because she was not in great health and she was also a woman at that time at that time that was just not something that happened much and um so she got turned down by mission boards, but she really felt like it was what the Lord was calling her to do and uh but Ruskin said, you, you you won't be able to do both. Like there's you' you have you really have to give yourself wholly to art if this is what you want to do, and you you have to make that decision. And she decided to go be a missionary anyway. And so she went to Algeria without an ascending organization. She, she and two friends, two other women went and they learned Arabic and they got involved in the community and they cared for orphans and children and women. And, um, and she used her art as a way of teaching the gospel. She would paint the gospel um, and she would paint beauty and she would make these tracks that were um, presentations of the gospel for the people there. And one of the things that drew me to that so much is, um, the the neat tidy packaging of that story would be well see you you lay down these worldly things in order to pursue the things of the lord
1: right. but it's
0: not that easy um because who among us doesn't know what it's like to um, to have to lay one thing down because of choosing it, because we've chosen another, um, you know, in marriage, you you choose a spouse at the, uh, as, and foregoing all others, right? You, you um, when you sometimes are, you know, take a job, you you don't play the instrument that you used to play all the time and think, maybe I could be a guitar player, or maybe I could be a piano player or, you know, or whatever. And life kind of crowds that out. Um, you have a family, you know, and your time gets kind of spoken for. And one of the things that I just love about Lilius' story is how she kept using her art, um, but that her she declined um, in her skill. Hmm. And the reason she declined in her skill, and she knew she declined in her skill, um, was because she did she wasn't painting every day. She was serving these people, and one of her friends said that she. She would think about she would grieve and lament the loss of um, the skill that she had once had like she was picking up a a rusty tool Um, Mm -hmm. and 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 uh, her friend said that she felt it most when she picked up her paintbrush and painted Um, when she would paint to serve these women or she would try to paint something beautiful to give to these neighbors that she was caring for, was the moment when she was most aware that she was not able to do what she had once been able to do. And she felt that as a sorrow, but as a sorrow that was worth it to her. And I like that part of the story so much because it's it's yep. that's how it is in life, is it's not right. so tidy that, well, I just lay down this dream of my youth in order to follow the Lord and and, you know, and it's all just one feeling, one big feeling of reward. It's like, no, it's, there's loss there. And there's grief there that she felt um, for the course of her life. And, uh, and yet she had a profound impact on um, the community that she served in Algeria uh, to where she was, she was mourned by, by the, by the, the entire city when she, when she died. Hmm. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate how you, um, yeah, you show those shades and it's not a trite sort of, yeah. Well, she gave up, she could have been the best in the world, but she went to serve Jesus. And so that, that actually leads really well into, I want your, your wisdom here. Um, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but why are Protestants such lousy artists? <laughs> uh, <laughs> let, let, me, let me just go a little further with that. Um, so from my vantage point, and this is overly simplistic, but I think there's truth behind it protestants especially evangelicals which is you know sort of our stream um have so you know prioritized the gospel and proclaiming the gospel a good thing the best thing great thing but um that art then you know gets characterized as as secondary on the one hand or as sort of luxurious excess on the other uh, <clears throat> you, you look back in in uh, church history and oftentimes it's the catholics who are yeah. um are emphasizing beauty and yeah and art uh, uh for its own sake um that uh so i'm interested in that uh, is that is that what you notice as well It's sort of uh the protestant tradition has has not emphasized this so much how should we think well mm-hmm. about just the, the right. beauty of and significance of art itself Right. I think I think the starting place is to not think about the art itself, but to think about the artist,
0: um, to think about the, the, the and and more specifically to think about how if we're made in the image of God, uh, then by definition, we are creative beings. Yes. So so it's not it's not accurate to say, well, there are some who you would call creatives and then everybody else who are not creatives. It's like, no, if you're made in the image of God, one of the things that we learn about him out of the gate is that he created all things. And if we're made in his image and we reflect him, then we're creative too. And so we create, we don't create out of nothing, but we create as part of being sub creators like he was. And so, so, so there. It it means part of being human is that we create, and and we create things that are good and beautiful and true is is our calling. And so, when we look at, and and when we look at God, when we look at the nature and the character of God, I think we can get. I, I'm part of a of a denomination. Um, or you know, kind of theological circle that can be pretty heady uh, and pretty academically uh, focused and precise in our language and that sort of thing. And I think um, we can focus on what's what's um, good and true uh, at the expense sometimes of what's beautiful. But mm. if we're if what we're trying to understand is the person of God, what are some things that we know about Him? Well, we know that His glory is more than man can behold. Right? That God had to hide Moses in the cleft of a rock to pass by because there was no way he'd be able to um, handle the glory that was about to be unfurled on him. And so, part of the artist's work is, is, to, is, is in seeking to understand the nature of God himself. And one of the things God tells us about him, about himself is that he's glorious. And so, where do we encounter glory? Well, we encounter it in nature but we also encounter it in in beauty that's created by people music um, paintings, sculptures you know that that part of the function of art is to place glorious things in our path on a regular basis mm. and um, and I think what we we forsake that because um, uh, you know Protestants um, I think I want to be careful not to just put this on protestants because i think we live in a pragmatic era um mm-hmm. where if the if something doesn't have some sort of value that's obvious to give us um we question whether it's worth our time you know and yeah. in the in the world of of faith uh we we ask very pragmatic questions of art and one of the questions that we ask is well what is the lesson here Um, what is this going to teach me? You know, (laughs) as though, as though the reason that you look at a painting is for it to give you some sort of life lesson or application. And sometimes, no, you look at a painting because it, um, it washes over you with, with this composition that tells you more, uh, than just a simple bullet point of application. There was a, there was a quote, um, by, Flannery O'Connor, who said, uh, hang on, I'm looking this up real quick, uh, because I want to get it right, because it's a great quote from her. Um, She said about story, she was talking about story. And uh, she said, a story is a way to say something that can't be said any other way. Um, and we're storytellers and art does that too, that it tells you things that can't be said any other way than you standing there and beholding it. Mm -hmm. So I think we're Christian art. I've had people ask me before, like, how can you know, how should I approach making good Christian art? I'll say, don't approach making good Christian art, try to make honest art. And if you make honest art, it will be Christ honoring. Um, yeah. And so, so tell stories that are true. Don't don't try to tell um, the story of uh, the gospel in in one poignant painting. Um, I mean, you can't. You can try, but it'll often look forced, right? Some yeah. of the most powerful works of art that that are known, like Michelangelo's David, is a great example of it's just this achievement, this artistic achievement of carving out of an unforgiving block of stone this perfect figure um who's who has no clothing to to disguise any imperfections like it it is just that statue is either going to look right or it's going to look wrong and it looks right um Mm. and and there's something just but but he's capturing just a moment before david slings the stone to kill goliath um and yet so much is carried in that one snapshot of of a of a sculpture presented there. So, I think I think Christians make a mistake if we think, I'm a Christian, I'm an artist, therefore I should try to make Christian art. It's like if you're a Christian and an artist, you should try to make honest art um, so cool. and trust that your voice and your faith will either come through in the art itself or in the conversations that come. But, but things we spotted a mile away when somebody looks at a painting that's obviously trying to you know, preach at you. Um, or try to
1: inspire you, and it's like Ugh, this is totally, this does nothing totally, for me. Totally, totally. It, it has, yeah, it's sort of the it's sort of the shtick about like Christian movies, you know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just it, yeah, oftentimes it's just trying to beat you over the head with a message. And um, but that's mm-hmm. really helpful. Art, art's place, and it you know whether I think all of it's under the heading of art, whether it's it's music or film or story or painting. Um, mm-hmm. There are those windows in where it, it it it's it it feels like it's a window into the 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 creativity of God and it's sort of existential and powerful and like you say it's saying yeah. much more than a bullet point uh, ever could. That's really helpful. I remember going to like the Christian bookstore as like a teenager and there would be these back in the days of CDs. There'd be like a CD console with headphones and you could put the oh, headphones yeah. on and test out the music. And Uh it was just, it was so funny to me, even at the time, um, it would, (laughs) that there would be like a little thing by the CD that would, that you were listening to would be like, do you like Eminem and Snoop Dogg? Then you (laughs) will like this, you know, Christian artist version. Uh And of course it was just so forced and like a poor copycat. You're like, oh, that's not that doesn't stand, <laughs> you yeah. know, and and I think you're you're making a helpful distinction of um, uh, of how to go about it, and I like that 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 yeah. comment about honest art.
0: And I think we live in a time
1: <coughs> where it's much more the order of the day
0: is you know the 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 Christian um, the Christian industry of alternatives to the secular world, it was kind of in the 90s, you know, it was the 80s and 90s, and and it's less today. Uh, And you'll find a lot more um, just good quality stuff, whether it's film or art or music, where it's being made by Christians, but it's not necessarily relegated to a a Christian market exclusively. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful that we're here uh, in that era. Um because it it gives us access to to stuff that that just wouldn't have been made <coughs> That's would, so true. Sorry, that wouldn't have been made twenty years ago.
1: yeah, well, hey, as we start to land the plane here, just a couple of final questions. Uh, one is um, how would you invite the listener who 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 maybe isn't um, hasn't given a ton of uh, thought or research into the art world? Um, how would you uh, invite them to to think about art? Um, through the lens of faith?
0: Yeah, well, I think um, if you have a chance to go look at art, if you you have a chance to go to an art museum, go. Um, Don't feel like you need to see everything in every room. Um, But uh, one of the good exercises for me is I'll walk into a room and kind of do a 360 and I'll walk up to whatever catches my eye. And sometimes I'll walk into a room and nothing will catch my eye. And that's great because that means I can go to the next room. Um, <laughs> but start to learn what what catches your eye and then read the plaque um, on the wall next to it. And just give yourself the permission to know you're not in a hurry. Like You don't have to, you know understand everything about art history and theory to enjoy art it is a very valid form of art criticism to walk up to a painting and say i like this one um that's valid and uh it's also valid to walk up to one and say i don't get this one uh and you know maybe you're not off (laughs) i'm so glad to hear that (laughs) well you know i mean it's true i think part of the reason i wrote the book and and honest i mean not to you know um promote my well I'm promoting my book but the question is you know what's one way one way would be to read my book because what I what I tried to do is I tried to write about art in a way that somebody who had no real engagement with art up to that point would find it interesting, and it would make them want to go to an art museum. And uh, growing up in the small farming town that I I'm, I was a part of with these art teachers, I kept the farmers in mind as I was writing this book. I was thinking, I want to write a book about art that I could hand to the farmer down the road who has very little time for uh, or interest really in in uh, uh, high society um, and who's a very pragmatic person, but but spends his day. Uh, in beautiful places, uh, and and doing things where he's seeing uh, creation unfurl, uh, and who loves stories and who lives as part of a culture of storytelling, um, that that they would connect, uh, that they would enjoy the stories. And so I kind of had these farmers in my mind of these these um, these these elegant, hardworking people uh, who were kind of the salt of the earth, and and. Uh, so I think you know, and that's what I, I've attempted to do with the book is is to is to tell good stories about art that that help you understand some of what goes on in the life of the artist, but also in in the choices that are made for the art in a way that really uh, takes some of the intimidation away of feeling like I've got to have an art degree in order to go into an art museum. It's just right. not it's just not the case. Um, and i think it's unfortunate that that's what a, the way a lot of people have experienced art because i think it's the way a lot of culture has handled art mm-hmm. is that you have to you have to have a lot of insider knowledge for this to really mean something to you and i think no really what you need to have is just curiosity and a willingness to just look over time and the internet's a great tool because you can find all kinds of wonderful um You know, high resolution images of of and explanations of of great great artists, Mm -hmm. and I guess the last thing uh, I would recommend um, is follow me on social media because every Wednesday, I do a series called Art Wednesday, where over the course of the day, I post a series of about seven to ten paintings or pictures of sculptures that are all related in some way uh they're either by the same artist or they're about the same theme or you know i have one that that, that'll be all about paintings that have been stolen uh and have never been recovered (laughs) uh and so it'll be just pictures that you know you can't go to a museum and see because they're gone um or i'll have you know a series on um a painter maybe you've never heard of or i'll take a particular like i have one coming up where i I really kind of focus in on the details of a Norman Rockwell painting. Um, And so but every week I do that. And part of the point of it was was for me, I, I started it at a time where I felt like most of the stuff in my social media feed was pretty negative and and not. It wasn't a very beautiful place to go. And so I wanted to just start introducing beauty into the social media stream. And uh, that's how Art Wednesday began, and now over at uh, Fathom Magazine, I, my Art Wednesdays are posted as a column every every Wednesday as well. So oh, it's cool. if you want to see it all in one place, it's all it's all there every Wednesday. Um, something goes live, so um, but that's it. It's just it's just looking. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. kind of not not much more complicated than that.
1: Sweet. Well, for those listeners, we'll we'll include uh, uh, links in the show notes uh, yeah. to all those things as well. That's fantastic. Thank you for the book. I love, these are, um, encourage uh, listeners to pick up the book because each chapter stands on its own. And uh, so you can just kind of pick away at it or or, or uh, pick something that, that really catches your eye. And then at the end of your book, uh, you have an appendices and you say how to visit an art museum and how to look at a work of art. And you started to share some of those uh, nuggets there, but that's just super helpful as well. So um, (laughs) those are fantastic. Um, Thank you, uh, Russ, for helping us uh, look at the beauty of art, um, recognize that uh, we are made in the image of God, that he is a creator, um, that 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 creative uh, nature is in all of us, um, both to, uh, participate in and to appreciate, and uh, it certainly is a window into uh, the deeper things of God. So thanks for your time, thanks for the book, and uh, God bless you, Russ. Yeah, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. There was so much more I would have loved to dig into with Russ, but we actually both had a tickle in our throats. We, We both kept coughing, and so I tried to keep it short, so apologies for all of the coughs in that episode. Um, If you want to learn more about the subject matter of this conversation, I encourage you to get Russ's book, Rembrandt in the Wind, or additionally, check out Makoto Fujimura's book, Art and Faith, A Theology of Making. Makoto is a world-renowned artist, is a follower of Jesus, and he wrote the foreword to Russ's book. Next up on the pod, I sit down with former member of parliament, Chuck Strahl, to talk about not art and faith, but politics and faith. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to Deep Thoughts. I hope it helps you in fostering deep faith.